today's message is growing pains. Look at your neighbor and say, growing pains. Yes, growing pains. And if you have your Bible, you can turn to James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, just two verses today. And uh, I'm reading out of the ESV. It'll also be on the screen, um, but I'm going to go ahead and read these powerful, powerful verses, and then we'll pray. This is what James says in, in chapter 1. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your presence today. God, we thank you for the team that is at Crescent City Foursquare in California. It's an extension of our heart. God, we pray that you would move in power at their church and through our people, Lord. And God, we pray for today. Uh, we thank you that this is the day that you have made. And God, you have something for us today. Lord, we pray that we would have open hearts. We pray that we would, could open your word and, and listen to your word in humility and receive what you have to say. And we pray that if you want to shift some things around in our lives, that we would allow you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Growing pains. I remember when I was in middle school and high school, I was hearing about all of my friends who, uh, by the way, all my friends grew like three feet in the course of like four years. I don't know if you had friends who did that, but they grew a lot physically in a short amount of time. And I remember hearing stories of all of my friends. Uh, they would wake up in the middle of the night with these pains in their knees. Did you guys ever have that growing up? And it's because they were physically growing so quickly that they would have these growing pains happen in their knees. Now, I didn't have that, those kind of growing pains because I'm not that tall, to be really honest. I don't know if you noticed. I think when I entered high school, I was like 5'6", and now I'm 5'9". So what is that, like three inches? So not a lot. But for me, my growing pains when I was growing up were more emotional. You know, I, I remember going through middle school and high school and wrestling with my emotions and just going like, what is happening right now? <laughs> like, why am I angry and upset and excited all at the same time? How could I be feeling all this all at the same time? Why do I constantly, you know, like this girl and that girl? And then why am I constantly getting in fights with my parents and slamming my door? It was just an emotional roller coaster. if you have ever been there before. And we've all experienced those kinds of growing pains in our lives where we, you know, we sort of feel like growing up is hard. Growing up is hard. And I share that with you to remind us of something that we all kind of know, but I just want to remind us of. And it's this, that sometimes growing hurts. Sometimes growing hurts. You know, I think we have this idea that when we're in a season of growth, that it's always going to be up and to the right. But how many of us know we don't just grow through good times, we grow through hard times. We don't just grow through the mountaintop experiences, but we also grow through the valleys. Sometimes growing hurts. 
Sometimes growing is painful. And sometimes growing hurts a little bit. And sometimes growing hurts a lot. And I think we've all experienced things in life where we're just sort of going through life and something hits us out of left field. You've been there before? Something just hits you out of left field and it ends up stretching you and challenging you in ways that you never thought you would experience. But I want to remind us today that sometimes growing is painful and sometimes growing up is hard. And one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is this, when we're in seasons of growth, when we're in seasons of challenge, when we're in seasons where we feel like our faith is being stretched, what do we do? What do we do when life gets hard? What do we do when life gets extremely difficult? What do we do when our faith is challenged? How do we walk through growing pains in our lives? And here's a question that I'm sure many of us have asked before is, what's the point? You ever felt that way? You're like, God, why in the world am I going through this right now? What is even the point of some of the suffering and the difficulty that we face in our lives? And this is where we enter the book of James. James is a simple but a powerful book. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And uh, if you didn't know, Jesus had a a lot of siblings, had a lot of brothers and sisters. Um, But James was a half-brother of Jesus. And in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, James actually doubted Jesus and his ministry. Uh, One of the most incredible things is that after the resurrection, uh, Jesus showed up to James before a lot of the other disciples. And guess what? James went from doubting Jesus to serving Jesus, his own brother, right? That's a powerful statement about who Jesus really is. And James is writing this letter to the persecuted church. He's writing this letter to Jewish Christians who have been scattered outside of Jerusalem. And these Christians who have been persecuted, they have lost everything. They have lost their possessions. They have lost their relationships. They have lost their social status within culture. They've lost everything in their lives. They're going through some growing pains. They're going through some trials. And this is who James is writing to. And just as much as James is writing to the persecuted church and those who are going through difficulty uh, as early Christians, James is also writing to us, to us. And we find a lot of wisdom in James. And so we're going to go through these few verses and learn how to go through these growing pains and trials. And I have three points for you this morning. And the first point is this. Growing pains are normal. Everybody say normal. You're like, whew, I'm not the only one that's going through a hard time right now. James starts his letter like this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, which by the way, could you imagine when you're going through a hard time, someone going up to you and saying, hey man, just count it all joy, right? You're just like, oh man, slap to the face, you know? But he says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. And notice his language here in this first verse. He says, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
Not if, but when. James is saying that we will face trials in our lives. And he doesn't even just say we're going to face trials. He says we're going to face trials of various kinds. Isn't that encouraging, right? It's like flavors of ice cream, you know? You get that one and that one and that one. So James, in essence, he starts out his letter saying, hey, you and I are going to face trials. We're going to face suffering. We're going to face growing pains in our, life, in our lives. And it's not if, it's when. And it's not just that we're going to go through hard times, but we're going to go through all kinds of hard times. In life, we're going to encounter all sorts of trials concerning our finances, our health, our family, our friends, our marriage, kids, career. You and I are going to face temptation, addiction, anxiety, depression, breakups, heartache, uncertainty, and a lot more. I know this doesn't sound really encouraging and it's going to get better, but I want to remind you that every single person on earth, including you and I, will face trials in life. And I want to remind you of something as well. Jesus faced trials in life. Jesus faced suffering in life. And he was the son of God. He was the one who was blessed and highly favored. And he still faced trials in life. And so will we. You know, I remember when our two and a half year old son, when he was learning to walk, and then he eventually learned to run. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a toddler run before, especially learn to run, but it's scary. You know, they don't look like they're running like we run. They look like they're falling forward endlessly. That's what it looks like. And you're just like, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. And they, anyways, but um, I remember when, when Levi was learning to run and Janelle, who's right here, my wife, um, she would run right behind him, you know, like a foot away because she didn't want him to fall. And me being the great father that I am, I would be like 20 feet behind them. And I'd, in my mind, I'm just thinking, he's going to fall. <laughs> like, I'm just going, he's going to fall. He's going to scrape his head or his nose or whatever. And he's going to learn from it. And he's going to, you know, all of those things. And guess what happened? One day, he fell. He fell. And, uh, and he fell and he scratched his nose. And, you know, he cried and we held him and he got better. But when I read the, these verses from James, I sort of feel like that's, the way that he is speaking. He's like, hey, you're going to fall. You're going to face trials. Life is going to get really, really hard sometimes. But one thing that I've learned over the course of the last few years, especially going through some hard things in my personal life, is this, is that just because something is hard doesn't mean that God's somehow not in it or God can't use it. Amen? Amen? Just because something is hard doesn't mean that God isn't somehow in it or God can't use it. Let me give you some examples. And these are going to be a little bit personal. But let me give you some examples. Just because you were introduced to a difficult coworker or manager doesn't mean that God hasn't placed you there. Amen? Just because you disagree about something in the church doesn't mean that God hasn't called you to that church. Amen? Just because something's hard 
Does it mean that God's not in it or God can't use it? Okay, let's talk about this one. Just because your neighbor is a Democrat <laughs> or a Republican doesn't mean that God hasn't called you to that neighborhood. Just because you're facing something difficult doesn't mean that God can't use it for his glory. You and I are going to face trials of many kinds in our lives. We live in a broken, sinful, and fractured world. And sometimes life is going to get really, really hard. And sometimes when life gets hard, it's going to be a simple solution. It's going to be a simple fix. Sometimes it's going to take a lot of prayer and waiting on God. Sometimes you're going to need a lot of community. And sometimes you're going to go through things in life where you shed a lot of tears and you don't know how you're going to make it another week, another month. But I want to encourage you, just because life is hard doesn't mean that God isn't with you. It doesn't mean that God has left you. It doesn't mean that God can't use it for his purposes and for his glory. Amen? And why is this important? I think some of us might be sitting here and going like, why does, okay, I get it. Like, we're all going to face trials. I'm going to suffer in life. Life's going to get difficult. Why is this important? You know, one of the reasons this is important is because this understanding that you and I are going to face trials and growing pains in our lives displaces two uh, false beliefs about suffering that's sort of prevalent in culture and Christianity today. And those two false beliefs about suffering is this. And the first one is this. If I follow God, I won't experience suffering. Uh, let me just point you to Jesus Christ, <laughs> who followed God and was persecuted and crucified on a cross. You know, if you're not a Christian in the room, you can tune out here for a second. But if you're a believer in this room, I want to remind you as well that Jesus actually promised trials and suffering to those who follow him. So this idea that if I follow God, I won't experience suffering is wrong. It's theologically incorrect. If Jesus experienced suffering, so will we. None of us gets to get away from pain and suffering and tragedy, especially when we live in a broken world. The second false belief is this. The first one was, if I follow God, I won't experience suffering. But the second one is this. If I experience suffering, I must not be following God. Again, let me point you to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, who experienced suffering, was obeying God to the T. You know, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians uh, he's being accused of being a lesser apostle or less spiritual than other apostles because of the difficulty in his life. There's a group of people who are looking at Paul and saying, you must not really be an apostle. You must not be a true apostle because, man, you're in and out of prison, right? People are running you out of town. You know, you've lost all of your possessions. You're going through so much suffering. God's blessing must not be in your life. And you must be a lesser apostle than everybody else. And 
If you remember Paul in 2 Corinthians as a response to these critics who want to say that because he's experienced suffering, sometimes he's not, he, he must not be following God. He says, you know what? Actually, in my weakness, he is strong. You know, it's actually through my weakness and through my suffering that God is glorified in my life. So growing pains are normal. We're going to go through trials and hard times in our lives. You know, but one word that always bothered me in James chapter 1 was that first, that first part, rejoice or count it all joy. Gosh, it's like, how do I do that? <laughs> how do I walk through growing pains and trials and suffering in a way where I find joy? Where we find joy in the midst of our pain? We're going to get to that at the very last point, but we need to observe something else that's really important to understand about growing pains. And that leads us to the second point. And the second point is this. Growing pains are a process. Everybody say process. Growing pains are a process. James continues. He says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That word steadfastness means perseverance. This is a really, really important part of this verse. It's a really, really important sentence. What's interesting here is that the word trial, when he says, for, the, for you know that the testing of your faith produces uh, steadfastness, the word trial is synonymous with the word test. So in the original language, this verse literally reads, that your trials are a test. That underneath every trial that you go through, there is a test of your faith. And what ends up happening is that trials by nature test what your faith is truly built upon. It doesn't always mean that God sent the trial. But it does mean that God uses every trial to put a mirror to our faith. And we've all felt that before, right? When we go through hard times, we feel the testing of our faith. You know, growing up, um, I hated tests. <coughs> Any of you like me were just terrible test takers growing up? I was such a bad test taker. Um, I remember, uh, I don't know if they still do the SATs anymore. Is that still a thing? No, I don't know. Anyways, I remember when we had to take the SATs to like, you know, go to college. It was that big like end of high school, high school test. And man, my parents put me in SAT classes for like a year, like a full year to prepare to take the SATs. I never asked them this, but I'm pretty sure it was like thousands of dollars that they spent to put me in these classes. And I don't know if I remember anything I learned from those classes, to be really honest. Um, but I was such a bad test taker, and I remember taking the SATs, and the SATs are really intense. Like, you're in this room, and they give you, like, this specific pencil that you have to use, and you have this specific time limit, and you can't, like, look around at anybody else. And I remember taking the SATs, and I have my pencil, 
And I was so tempted to just fill in A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D, just to see like what, what the outcome would be. I was so bad, you know? Um, man, but you know one thing that we see from the book of James and one thing that we can learn in our lives is, is that the testing of our faith that comes through trials is not about getting the answers right. It's about getting our hearts right. And some of us, what happens is this, is we're like fixers, right? We face a trial and our first thought is like, okay, how do I logistically make this better? And God's like, no, 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 no. It's not about getting the answer right in this situation. I want, to, I want you to get your heart right. I want you to get your heart right. And that's really important for us to understand because trust me, I get it. When you're going through a hard times, you're not thinking about getting your heart right. You're just trying to hang on for dear life, right? You're just trying to hang on and you're just like, God, help me right now. And God, I'm mad at you right now. And you know, that's sort of the way that we can, you know, that's our default sometimes. But we have to slow down and understand that underneath our trials is a test of our faith. It's a test of our faith. And in the midst of our trials, what we want to do is we want to get our hearts right before God. Before God. You know, maybe you made a mistake and you blew up your finances or your financial situation. And you're thinking, man, I need to fix my finances. In order to fix my finances, I need to rebuild my wealth. But what about actually instead trusting God with your money? You know, maybe you were thinking, man, I need to fix my marriage, so I need to lay a hold of my family and control my wife and kids. But what about controlling your anger and understanding the heart of your wife and kids? What about in this political upheaval that we've experienced in the last couple years, and we're thinking, man, I need to fix my country, so I need to impose all of my political views. But what about our call to pray for our president and get on their knees and intercede? Some of us here, we're single and we're in that endless search for that wife or that husband. And, and we're like, man, I need to find the right girl and the right guy. So I need to download that app and swipe this way and go on this many dates. And God's like, no, you need to get your heart right with me. And my question to us this morning is this, is in your trial, are you trying to get the answers right? Or are you getting your heart right? And the second part of this verse is important too. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And then he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Let steadfastness have its full effect. That's a profound statement. What he is saying is this, is that the process of steadfastness in trials has a beginning, a middle, and an end. You have to allow perseverance and steadfastness through trials to run its course. There is a conclusion or there is an outcome. There is actually a finish line in which we can actually allow perseverance and steadfastness have its 
full effect in our lives. We can actually go through the process towards its end conclusion. But here is the problem. Here's the thing that you and I have to be careful of is so many times when we're going through growing pains, when we're going through trials, when we're suffering in life, because it gets so hard, what we do is we run away before God finishes his process. James says, let it have its full effect. But what we do is we get scared, right? Things get really, really hard and we want to run away before we've crossed the finish line. I used to be a runner, not like a physical runner, never been a physical runner, Um, but I used to be like an emotional runner. I don't know if any of you guys are like this, but man, you know, when I was younger, if I even sniffed like anything suspicious, <laughs> like that something was going to be hard or someone was going to reject me or there, you know, I would, you know what I would do? I would run, I would run away. <laughs> I'd run the other way. If I even sniffed that a relationship was going to go sour, I felt like someone was going to use me or whatever, I would just run away. And some of us, we're runners. When things get hard, instead of leaning in or leaning into God, what we want to do is run away. And some of us, we literally physically run away from the situation, but some of us, we run away in our hearts. We shut down and we close off. And what happens is we end up subverting the process before God is done with the process. And we don't want to do that. And there's really two traps that we can fall into as we go through the process and two reasons why we run away in the middle of the process. And the first one is this, it's impatience. Impatience. Let me give you an example. Um, Have you ever been driving behind someone who was driving way too slow? And so you're like, "Ah, you know what? I don't want to drive behind this person. And so what do you do? You, you get in the other lane, right? And you pass them by. And have you ever done that and only to end up at the same red light? <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Probably happens, like, probably happens like once or twice a year. But how awkward is that, right? You're like, ah, no, I'm going right past you. Same red light. And you're just trying not to look over at them, right? Because <laughs> you're like... I was such a jerk, you know, like, I hope they don't see the Jesus fish on the back of my car, you know, or whatever. (laughs) But um, unless you're super holy and you've never done that, most of us have done that before, right? You end up at the same red light. But this is sort of what happens, right? Is we get impatient and we want to subvert the process. And what ends up happening is we just keep ending up at the same red light in our lives. We never actually see the breakthrough because we end up in the same place every single time because we try to get ahead of what God is doing, of what God is doing. And the second one is this. The first thing is impatience. But the second trap we can fall into as we're going through the process is idolatry. Someone say idolatry. The word idolatry means to worship another God besides the one God, Yahweh, the one God, Yahweh. Let me give you an example. Do you guys remember in the Old Testament, Israel wandering in the wilderness? So uh, 
God frees Israel from slavery in Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land. And I don't know if you know, but it took them 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you know how long that journey takes if they just did a straight shot to the promised land? It's an 11 day journey. So what took, what should have taken them 11 days took 40 years. And do you know why? It's because in the middle of the process, they kept giving themselves to idols. And so here's what happens. And this is one of the, some, one of the things that I believe about the way that our faith journey is, is when God sets us free from slavery and we're on our way to the promised land, when we're walking in the wilderness, although we're free from our past addictions and our past, you know, masters and things like that in our lives, we're now walking in the wilderness. And one thing I believe about the wilderness is even though you're free from your past, it's still scary to be in the wilderness because the vices that you had, the crutches in life that you had before, you don't have anymore. The thing that you were enslaved to, now you don't have anymore. And even though you're with God and you're on your way to the promised land, it's scary because you can't lean on the things you used to lean on anymore. And so what happens is between slavery and the promised land, because we get afraid, we end up giving ourselves back to the idols that we once used to worship. And so a journey that should have taken 11 days takes 40 years. And so here's my encouragement is in your pain and in your suffering and through the growing pains and your trials. Don't give yourself back to that thing that you used to do. It's easy to do that. It's easy to get scared in the midst of hard times and just go back to that person, go back to that pattern, go back to that addiction. But can I just encourage you? Don't go there, go to God. Don't go there, go to God. And so what James is saying is important. He's saying that we need to allow perseverance to have its full effect in our lives. And my encouragement to us this morning is this, and it's just a simple sentence, and I hope you remember this this morning, is don't run before God is done. Amen? Don't run before God is done. Don't run before God is done. So growing pains are normal. We're all going to go through trials in our lives. And they're a process. And they're a process that we have to go through. We can't go around it, under it, over it. We have to go through it. But what is the outcome of the process of pain and trials? What's that conclusion that brings us joy. What is James talking about when he says, hey, count it all joy, rejoice. I mean, I think that's a huge part of the answer that we want to, to know. And that leads us to our last point, And it's this, is that growing pains make you more like Jesus. Growing pains make you more like Jesus. You know, James ends this whole verse saying this. 
Let steadfastness have its full effect. So what? So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, um, the other week, Pastor Isaiah preached an amazing message on being too busy for God. Um, and he asked, a, he asked a question. He brought something up that I feel like is really, really important for us to consider. And I actually think what he brought up uh, and the question that he asked is the question that we should be asking in the midst of our growing pains and our trials. And that question is this, not where are you going, not what are you doing with your pain, but that question is this, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming in this season of suffering? Who are you becoming in the midst of marital tension? Who are you becoming in the midst of your health crisis? Who are you becoming in your workplace when you have differences with your manager or another employee? Who are you becoming as a neighbor when you have political differences with the person who lives next door? Who are you becoming when your child is rebelling and wanting to walk away from you or wanting to walk away from faith? Who are you becoming? I think that is the question that we have to ask ourselves. I think that's the most important question we have to ask ourselves in the midst of our growing pains. I was reminded of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. You know, when Paul is writing Philippians, he's writing this letter from prison. He's going through some trials right now as he's writing this letter. And somehow in the midst of his prison cell, in Philippians 3.8, he says this. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What Paul is saying is that in the middle of my circumstance, in the middle of this difficult thing, my treasure is knowing Jesus. My treasure is knowing Jesus more and more. And this is sort of a heart check for us, not just in culture, but in the church. You know, some of us, we can get to this point and we go, some of us might be like, amen, yes. And some of us are like, well, that's not the answer that I wanted to hear. That's the joy, right? But it begs a question that we need to think about and answer. And it's this. Is your definition of joy happiness or holiness? Is the vision for your life happiness or holiness? You ever notice that people who chase happiness are never actually really happy? I was reading in um, Psalm 1 the other day. 
This is, I'm just, this is in my notes. I just want to share this. I was reading in Psalm 1 the other day, and it was talking about how the person who is truly blessed is the one who is planted in the Lord and in his word. And it reminded me that true blessing is about being planted in God, not a situation. And that must be the vision for our lives. And I want to propose something to you so that we can change our perspective and have a perspective that is in line with scripture and how we should have as Christians. Is that maybe God's not just trying to fix your life. Maybe he's trying to make you more like Jesus. And maybe what we need to do is stop trying to get out of the situation and start leaning into what Jesus wants to do in our hearts. Jerry Bridges, he's a theologian, he says this, that God never allows pain without a purpose in the lives of his children. He never allows Satan nor circumstances nor any ill-intended person to afflict us unless he uses that affliction for our good. And listen to this next part. God never wastes pain. Someone needs to hear that this morning. God will not waste your pain. He always causes it to work together for our ultimate good. And listen to how he defines that ultimate good, the good of conforming us more to the likeness of his son. Jesus. Jesus. Holiness or happiness? You know, that, that word perfect and complete in that, in that, in that last sentence uh, in James 1, 2 to 4, it, it actually means whole, to be whole. And many of us are sitting here this morning and we're thinking like, I want to be whole. <laughs> I want to experience wholeness in my life. I don't care about my situation and circumstance. Like I actually want to experience the feeling of wholeness in my life. And maybe you're here this morning and you're going through some really hard things right now in your life. You're going through growing pains right now. And maybe you feel really broken. And you've tried to put the pieces back together in your own strength. You've been trying to fix this thing and manipulate this thing and figure this thing out and try and put it back together in your own strength. But as I was preparing this message and as I was praying, I was thinking about that word whole. Everybody wants wholeness in their life. Everybody wants to experience wholeness in their hearts and in their soul and spirit, in their families, in their marriages, their job, their workplace, whatever it is. We all want to experience wholeness in our lives. This, this, this level of peace and, 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 and put togetherness that is outside of our circumstances and outside of our trials. We all want to experience that and and many times we just try to do that ourselves. We try to pick up the pieces ourselves and try to figure it out on our own. And, and I was thinking about this word wholeness and, I, and a song came to me and you 
some of you might know this song. Um, but this song came to me, and I began to sing this song. I was just hanging out on the piano, and I began to sing this song as I was thinking about this word wholeness. And, and there's two lines from this song um, that just kept resonating in my heart. And those two lines are this. And you might know this, but it says, this song says, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But it's the second line that really got me. It says, What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we wouldn't have to experience suffering. Jesus died on the cross so we would experience redemption in the midst of our suffering. Amen? And it is only through Jesus and his blood and his finished work on the cross that we find wholeness in the midst of our trials and our pain. And some of us were here and we've been trying to pick up the pieces by ourselves and we've been trying to go through that door and that door and that door. But what really needs to happen is we need to come back to Jesus. We need to come back to the cross. We need to come have a, have, a, have a meeting with Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus? I've tried everything else. And what I've realized is this wholeness is only found through you. It is only by your blood that every, everything else is made right in my life. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you've been trying everything else but Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. In the middle of your suffering and in the middle of your pain, come to the one who, suffer, who suffered and was crucified for you. He died for you. He paid the price for you so that you could live anew in him, so that you can experience redemption in him. He suffered. He suffered so that he can be in relationship with you. Come to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is our definition of wholeness. Jesus is the one who will redeem you through your trials and through your pain. Come to Jesus. Let's stand this morning. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're going through something, if you're going through a difficult time and you know you're here and you're like, I need to come, I need to, come to Jesus. I know that it's only through him that I'm going to experience wholeness in my life. I want, to, I want to encourage you after I pray to come and receive prayer up in the front uh, with some pastors and prayer leaders. Have that coming to Jesus moment. And something we did last night um, that I want to encourage you this morning as well is normally what we do is I pray and, and, and we have people come up to the front to receive prayer. But I also want to encourage you this morning to maybe pray for one another right here in your seats. Maybe you turn to the person next to you and it could be your husband or your wife or it could be a family member that you came with and you just need to turn to someone else and go, hey, I'm going through some stuff and, and I need prayer. I need prayer this morning. We can pray for one another as well. But if that's you, if you're going through some growing pains and you're like, yeah, I'm in that process and I need to lean into Jesus, I just want you to put your 
hands out like this. And I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you for the power of redemption. Jesus, we thank you that in the process, you have a purpose. And Lord, we surrender to you this morning. We surrender that thing. We surrender the the thing that we're going through to you because you're the one who can handle it. And God, we want to displace any false beliefs that like life is about winning and life is about feeling good and all those things. Jesus, we want to give that to you and we want to receive that vision of knowing you more, of becoming more like you in the midst of our trial and our pain. Lord, you are here. You're with us. We want to receive from you. We want to surrender to you this morning. God, you are our healer, our deliverer. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room, God, those who are going through something in this room, Lord. God, I pray that you would heal. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.